welcome to another exciting episode of Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. I'm Aaron. And I'm Polly. Episode 12, Paul. Is this episode 12? Was last week episode 11? That is correct. Interesting. I thought last week was episode 10. No, no, no. See, you know, you don't even listen to what we do, do you? No, I don't even <laughs> listen while we're doing it. <laughs> well, this this much is clear. <laughs> no, it's episode 12. To- Perfect number 12. So are we really going to, you know, when we get to episode 77, are we going to say welcome to the 77th episode yeah, of we, Funny Books with Aaron and Polly? We are. Wow. We are. We're just. Gonna- I'm glad you're keeping count. Well, you know, I, I, I've, I it's because I've got 12 fingers and toes, so... <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> It'll be harder for me to keep track of it after this, but uh, you know, I'll have to start c- counting other things. There you go. You can at least get to thirteen, right? Yeah, <laughs> one would hope. <laughs> uh, so, um, it, it was a kind of an interesting week at the Funny Book Shop this week. Uh, you know, I went on Wednesday. When did you go, Paul? <laughs> I um I did not go to the funny book shop this week. Well, this is going to be a real short conversation for us today then. Yeah, well, no, I did get my comics. Well, uh, how is that possible if you didn't go to the comic book shop? <laughs> well, you know, conti- in our continuing series of Paul was did a dickish thing this week. <laughs> I uh I made my wife pick up my comics for me. Oh, Paul. I know. Well, you know, I got pulled into a meeting on Wednesday that lasted till like 6.30. Uh-huh. And the comic shop closes at 7, my local comic shop. Uh-huh. Now, and, when uh, you say pulled into a meeting, do you really mean I was playing Champions Online? Yeah, I was playing Champions Online <laughs> until 6.30 at work. Um, and then at the end of that meeting at 6.30, they said, oh, are you in for the long haul tomorrow, too? I'm like, well, if I must be, Sure. <laughs> and I was like, well, when the hell am I supposed to pick up my comics? You know, I guess I could pick them up on Friday, but that doesn't give me a lot of time to read them. Right. So I asked my wife on Thursday if she would swing by the comic shop, because this was a fairly light week. I only picked up five books. Mm-hmm. I asked her if she could pick up my comics for me. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it was a dickish thing to do, and <laughs> she called me from the comic shop and put the comic <laughs> shop owner on the phone so I could tell him what I wanted. That is hysterical. But but I got my comics. And you got your comics. You know, I, now, when you said, uh, I, I need to know how the question was asked, you know, was it, honey, could you could you swing by the comic shop and get my comics, or was it, woman, go get my funny books? Get my funny book. No. Um, well, this has happened once before uh-huh. um, that I asked her to pick up my comics, and it didn't go so well for me. So I was very polite this time. Is, it, is that because she picked up a whole bunch of Archies for you last time? <laughs> no, it's because she didn't go at all oh. uh, because of the way I asked. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I thought I'll try the nicer option this time. Huh. And uh, so I, you know, I was like, "Hey, sweetie, if you get a chance, do you mind, you know, please running by the comic shop for me? I would really appreciate it. There's only five books, you know. I'll send them to your email." And uh, you know, actually, what I tried to do is I tried to list them off in the voicemail. Yeah. And uh, oh God, you did this over a voicemail. <laughs> Yeah, it's like breaking you up via text, right? Are a putz. I am, I'm a bastard. I'm a deadbeat husband. You really are. First, I'm, I'm gonna send. I'm gonna ask my wife to go to the comic book shop to pick up my comics, and I'm gonna do it in a voicemail. 
(laughs) (laughs) This time, you you removed the use of the word bitch from from the conversation. This time. Because the last time it didn't go so well. Yeah. So this time, you know, I, I, I was much more polite about it. And uh, she gets to the comic shop and uh-huh. she remembered Batman and Robin and Blackest Night. I mean, you know, you can't really forget Blackest Night. And then she couldn't remember the other one. So I tried describing Streets of Gotham to her. And I was like, well, it's, it's a guy. He's got no shirt on and he's got scars all over his body and there's blood in the background. And she said, let me just put you on the phone with Richard. <laughs> and Richard is the uh, the owner of Heroes and Villains here in Hampton. Right, right. Um, so he's like, hey, Paul, what do you need? So I just told him, and he, he went to the shelves and picked it up for me. Well, that's cool. You know, though, it was kind of cool. You know, shopping over the phone for comics is actually pretty in- interesting. I might have to do this more often. <laughs> See, I'm real lucky. My, my comic shop has an email pull list. So every Sunday, he updates his website with the books that are coming out on Wednesday. And uh, you just go out there and you click what you need. So, you know, if I were to fall under something heavy, you know, my lovely bride could go up there and just get what I've already selected. Yeah. And, you know, I, I wish more comic shops around here did that. Yeah. Well, I guess I, 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 sh- I should say I wish any comic shops around here did that. <laughs> um, I mean, it's an interesting proposition. I mean, I, I, that's Zeus Comics, right? Yeah. And, you know, Zeus is kind of a big boy. And, you know, around here, you know, we've got some good comic shops but i wouldn't say anything on the level of zeus as far as you know i mean they do their own um vidcast and you know that kind of thing so i mean it's it's quite a bit you know they're they're really kind of ahead of the game i think as far as most comic shops are concerned not yeah. just texas oh, yeah. comic shops yeah you know, no i would i would agree with that you know and I, I think one of the challenges and and i don't know uh, i've only been into you know one or two comic shops up there in virginia where you live but, uh, you know, one of the, tr- one of the problems that I have in so many comic shops is how poorly merchandised they are. It's like you can't figure out where the new releases are and you can't figure out how the comics are laid out. Like, you know, are the DCs and the Marvels put together? Are they in alphabetical order? I mean, it's like sometimes you just can't figure out what the scheme is. It's like, okay, well, you've got a Superman over here and then you've got another Superman way over there. You know, how do you, how are you supposed to find them? And so if you were sending in a third party to go get your books, that would be really challenging. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the comic shops around here, there are very few good ones. Yeah. Um, you know, the, and that's, and the few good ones are the ones I attend regularly and I know the owners well because they're good guys, you know, but they're well organized, you know, good selection. Uh, but it's hard to find around here. You know, I mean, there's, I'm surprised there's as many comic shops as there are uh, in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia. Yeah. But, you know, the selection at most of them really is crap. And I, I, I'm surprised that some of these places stay open as long as they have. Yeah. You know, they must be open based on, you know, magic or Pokemon tournaments or whatever, you know, the yeah. kids are playing these days. Well, you know, so many comic shops just seem like an extension of somebody's hobby room. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, it's just wherever they decided to put it. There's a there's a comic shop here in uh, Dallas that has tons of merchandise and actually has a fairly decent sized store. But I have yet to figure out how it's laid out. You know, and I, every time I walk in, I can't find what I'm looking for. And, you know, the, the uh, staff is such that, you know, they're not particularly friendly. <laughs> and so, you know, I don't do hardly any business there ever. I mean, I'm probably in there like once a year. And every time I'm in there, I'm like, how does this place stay in business? 
there's one like that in Virginia Beach that will go unnamed. But have I ever told you the hot dog incident? You have not told me the hot dog incident. Well, you know, I walk into this comic shop, and you know, one of the workers, he's, you know, he's, he's when people imagine the forty-year-old who lives in his who lives in his parents' basement with the porn star mustache, right? It's this guy, <laughs> um, and he's. I hate to say that, but he he is. He's that cliche. I walk into the comic shop. I'm like, and it's around. It's like six thirty, seven o'clock at night, one night, and I'm looking around. I'm like, is there anybody here? You know, and, and I'm walking around, and then I see him stand up from behind the counter because I guess he was taking a nap behind the counter. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's weird, but whatever. He's sleeping on the carpet behind the counter. <laughs> you know, I pick up a, the couple of books I want, and this place is a, is a mess. This place is an absolute mess. You know, I, I don't know why I go, I, and I rarely go to this comic shop anymore because it's such a mess. You know, there's boxes all over the place, it's hard to find anything. It's really like walking into someone's attic. And, you know, I walk up to the counter, and by the time I get up to the counter, he's he's taking the raw hot dogs out of, like, you know, the Oscar Mayer package or whatever, the ballpark package, yeah. and wrapping them in cheese, you know, like, not cleaning them off or cooking them or anything. He's just <laughs> pulling them out of the package, wrapping cheese around them, and eating them. Oh, that's nasty. I was grossed <laughs> out. You have no idea. <laughs> but the straw that broke the camel's back for me on that shot, it, you know, because I guess that wasn't raw enough. Hot huh? dogs, raw, nasty, slimy hot dogs. Yeah, with the hot enough. dog juice all over them, congealed <laughs> and nasty. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that I went back, uh, and this was a couple of months back, and you know the lights were on, but and it was opening hours, but the sign on the door said closed. So I was like, well, maybe they forgot to change the sign. So I opened the door, and I poked my head, and I'm like, hey, are you open? And he said, you could open the door, can't you? <laughs> I was like, well, you know, you can change your sign to open, can't you? And so I haven't been back since. See, I, yeah, that's – people yeah. are just stupid. Same guy, same guy. He loves his talk radio, though. He listens to that Republican talk radio, the uh, Obama is a devil talk radio. Yeah. 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 And uh, I don't like talk radio in my comic shops. I actually have to say, I think talk radio is bad for retail. It, Absolutely. It does. I mean, because it really kind of draws you out of a retail experience. You need some kind of music that's not going to detract from your business. Now, I'll say uh, the uh, music that not, not the, not Zeus, not where I shop right now, but there was a comic book shop closer to home that I used to go to. And the music put off both my wife and my mom. And they're like, yeah, we're not going in there anymore. <laughs> you know, because what kind of music was it? It was just real hardcore heavy metal, you know? Uh, and, you know, <clears throat> I, I think that's something you have to be mindful of that while it's not going to bother your regular customers, you know, I, I, I'm having a hard time imagining what music would offend me such that I wouldn't visit my comic book shop. Um, but the people that, that, uh, want to buy things for your, your comic book customer, their spouses, their, you know, their, their parents, their family, et cetera. Um, you know, you want to make sure that you're welcoming to those people as well. My, my, my wife's like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. Now, fortunately, you know, she, we don't have that problem over at Zeus, but, uh, some people just don't understand how to run a business in my opinion. Yeah, I understand. You know, and heroes and villains, yeah. You know, my local one, you know, they usually, he has the XM satellite radio or Sirius or whatever it is now. And so he always plays like late 70s, early 80s rock. I mean, it's actually, you know, it's, it's not bad. It's all, you yeah. know, alternative rock. So it's not like, 
you're not hearing Duran Duran. You're hearing some more of the edgy stuff. Yeah. Um, like the Ramones and things like that. You know, but good stuff. Right. Um, not obtrusive and not so loud that you can't talk. And, you know, it's, it's actually pretty pleasant. And Local Heroes in Norfolk, he, he has a, a big screen TV in the back where he's always showing one of the, you know, the DC animated films. Um, or, you know, some type of, you know, tell some type of comic related animated thing. Um, and usually either that's the sound you hear, the sound of the movie, or he has it on mute and he's playing some type of, you know, music, but it's, it's never obtrusive to the experience. Right. And, you know, I'd be okay with hearing, you know, an animated movie when I walk into a shop, but talk radio, no matter what the talk radio is about, if they were playing our podcast, I'd walk out because I'd be like, I, I don't want to hear those bastards. Don't say that because Zeus played our podcast in their store. Really? <laughs> yeah, they sure did. I was just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, I don't think he normally does that, but he played like three podcasts in the store last week and ours is one of them. That's awesome, actually. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought so too. I think it was our Matt Sturgis interview that he played, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Ah, very cool. So, very cool. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I I I, uh, I I think so many stores would benefit from just taking a step back and and saying, you know, am I creating a welcoming environment? You know, is the can can people find the product they're looking for? Um, you know, and while your regular customers might understand your methodology, you always have to think that, you know, you're always bringing in new people. You should be bringing in new people and, you know, you got to make it easy for them. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've gone into stores where I just have no idea where anything is and their, their, the store help is patently unfriendly. Yeah. You know, it's the... Comic stores that are the worst comic stores uh-huh. are the ones specifically for the comic fan. Yeah. I found. You know, the the ones that try to bring in new people and even to a certain extent be family friendly or new reader friendly or just general people friendly. Yeah. I find are the best. Yeah. And you can still have a good selection. Um, you know, there's a place in North North Carolina called Heroes Aren't Hard to Find. Yeah. Uh they run the Heroes Con in North Carolina every year. Beautiful beautiful comic shop probably one of the most beautiful comic shops i've ever seen mm-hmm. and their back issue bins are not visible you know it, it's they're they're i mean they're visible but they're behind <clears throat> the shelves and you know you ask for what you're looking for yeah um you know and they have like one of those library ladders that they pull around and oh, get yeah. your comics for you i mean it's really well organized pleasant experience for everyone and that's why they're they're kind of the big boys down there. I mean, they make enough money to run their own Comic-Con yeah. uh, in North Carolina that gets a, a bunch of decent names. So, you know, I mean, I wish more comic shops would take a cue from that. But I guess yeah. if every comic shop was special, we wouldn't know which ones to shop at. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, um, yes. since you uh, had your comic book delivery service... <laughs> 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 Your comic book delivery service with benefits, I assume. <laughs> yeah, that worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, what'd you read this week? I, I read, like we said, slow week, five books total for me, which is good. Actually, it was great to only spend like, which, of course, it's sad. It's five books, and I think it was still like 16, 18 bucks, something right. like that. But I, I read a couple of Batman books this week. I read a couple of Batman books, too. Ah, see, there you go. Uh, so you know, I read, even though we, even though I said it was dead to me. Um, oh, Paul! Yeah, you didn't backslide, did you? I backslide. Oh, Paul. backslid, backslid. Are, are the words Grant Morrison going to come out of your mouth? They, 
I cannot say them. <laughs> um, but I did read Batman and Robin number four. I am I I am shamed. I am shamed well, you know, by this figured, by this admission. It was. I, I'm I'm gonna have to bring Jonathan back on and have him kick you in your dice bags because, uh, <laughs> wow. Okay, yeah, okay. Tell your story. Well, you know, I I read Batman and Robin, and um, it's issue number four. They have a, it's a new storyline and a new artist, so I thought I'd give it a shot. It's uh, Philip Tan does the art on it, and this is the start of the Red Hood storyline, which I'm guessing is another three part storyline because I think a new artist pops on with number seven, mm-hmm. uh, Cameron Stewart from Sea Guy, uh, which is another Grant Morrison title. I will honestly say, if number three wasn't enough to to break it for me, because number three wasn't a bad issue, it just wasn't good enough for me to want to continue. But, of course, then I continued. Number four is a bad issue. (laughs) Um, And it didn't even have Frank Whiteley's art to save it. I'm going to have to edit together all of our comments about Batman and Robins one through four and us talking about just how bad it is and just have this stream (laughs) of of how bad it is. (laughs) You know, because this is just an abysmal issue. Um, The writing is regular Grant Morrison crap, but it it makes even less sense than usual. The dialogue is choppy. Uh, the scenes don't flow well. It's really just poorly done, I think, as per usual. But, you know, at least the other issues had Frank Whiteley's art that was halfway decent. The art in this one, honestly, what it reminds me of, remember Chaos Comics? The Evil Ernie, Lady yes. Death, yeah. Insane Clown Posse comics? Yeah. It reminds me of that. It, it's it's just amateurish. It's confusing. It doesn't flow well. The action scenes are awful. If this is supposed to be the flagship Batman title, they should be ashamed of themselves. Honestly, Grant Morrison is not enough of a name to put a crappy artist with. If if you want people to read Batman, you need a good writer and a good artist, and they're doing that on the other titles, but they're supposed to be making this the flagship title, and this is garbage. This really is. They're they're making a big mistake, I think, with Batman and Robin. And you know, they're the Grant Morrison lovers are going to follow the story no matter what because they love Grant Morrison. But as a Batman fan, people who like Batman, uh, but not necessarily Grant Morrison, this is crap. They're not going to like it. Um, and I I hated this issue. I hated this issue with every fabric of my being. Uh, maybe not that much. <laughs> I didn't tear it up or anything. But this will go in that 100 comics that may or may not suck contest. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be 99 copies of Grant Morrison books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and maybe one of a Jeff Loeb book. Enter now, friends. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so I read Batman and Robin number four. Uh-huh. Uh, you said you read a couple of Bat books. I did. Um, um, what did pi- you read? I picked up a book that you were dropped out of after issue one, which was uh, Batgirl, uh, featuring the Stephanie Brown character, formerly the spoiler, taking on the Batgirl identity. Indeed. Uh, um, you know, I'm I'm still kind of having my same problem that I've always had with Stephanie Brown, that I just don't like her very much. Um, the story uh, written by B- Brian Q. Miller didn't grab me one little bit. There were a few interesting moments. And I find it interesting that the, the, the moments in the book that appealed to me 
featured Barbara Gordon, a character that I just really, really like. Um, but the rest of it, I, I didn't care for the conflicts in the book. Um, I'm not out of it because I think there's something here, but, uh, if it was any more expensive, I'd, I'd drop the book after this issue. Um, it's $2.99, um, cover price and that $2.99, though I st- still think $2.99 is too much money for a comic book. Uh, I'm happy to, uh, to pay that right now, but if it was a, a $3.50 book or a $3.99 book, I would not be picking it up. So I've, I've got some, some, some hope that it's going to turn into something. Uh, I'm hoping that the character becomes a little bit more interesting. Something that I, I find kind of weird about both the Batgirl book and the Batwoman book is that they are both characters that while they wear the Bat emblem, they are very outside the Batman universe. And so uh, – and they're both kind of following that same beat that that they're on the outside. Uh, and I'm, I'm – I'm eager for them to get drawn in a little bit more into, you know, the real bat circle kind of thing. So, yeah. uh, uh, that's kind of my frustration with the book. And, you know, granted it's only on issue two, but I need it to, to speed up and, and get better quickly. Otherwise I'm going to have to cut it loose. So that's Batgirl. But I will say the arts, you know, the art was decent. Um, wasn't great art, but, uh, you know, the art was decent and, um, one of the things, and we've talked about this before, I don't see any reason for this to be on the higher quality paper. Um, I'd be fine with it being on newsprint and drop that cover price down more. Yeah, and that's uh, Lee Garbett art, right? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, he used to do Outsiders. Yes. He's he's pretty decent. I mean, he's not super I don't, special, but... And I, and I think that, and the reason why I called it adequate art, <laughs> that the art was just decent, there are uh, there are pages in the book where you don't have a sense of where you are um, like for instance, there is a, uh, harvest festival going on in, 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 uh, Gotham. And, you know, one of the recurring jokes in the book is what exactly does Gotham harvest? Well, they har- har- harvests crime <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, it's supposed to be taking place like on campus, but it doesn't look like it's on campus. It looks like it's in, you know, uh, inner city Gotham. You know, and these are all supposed to be college kids on campus. And, and I was like, you know, uh, interesting design for, uh, you know, Gotham City University or whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one of the ni- one of the things, uh, it's an early tell in the book. I mean, you're you're only just several pages in, and it's not an obvious thing. I mean, it's there on the page, it's there for anybody to see. But uh, it's the Harvest Festival, and there is a scarecrow, which would be appropriate at a Harvest Festival, you know, over on the side. And we're like, oh, okay, well, the scarecrow is going to be the villain in this. And sure enough, that's the big reveal on the last page. Ah. Uh, you know. I mean, that's a shame because the scarecrow is one of my favorite bat villains. Yeah. Yeah, but I'll be damned if I'm going to read Batgirl number two. I'm sorry. I'll be damned, Aaron. Okay, well, so that was Batgirl number two. So I picked up Batman Streets of Gotham number four this week. And uh, if you're not reading this title, after all I've said about it, you are really missing out. You need to drop, you know, Batgirl. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And and pick this book up. Excellent, excellent book. Um, If it wasn't for The Blackest Night number three, this would probably be my book of the week. Yeah. Um, It starts off, you know, I've mentioned before how Hush... Uh, has his face look like Bruce Wayne now, and to keep him in check, um, basically the outsiders and a group of superheroes are kind of in disguise, acting as his liaisons and making him write checks to whatever they want him to write checks to. Mm-hmm. Um, that way they still have access to Bruce Wayne's money and things like that. Um, and in this issue, it's the Creeper. 
but that's really only the first couple of pages of the issue because the rest of the issue focuses on um I don't remember the character's name but um what he does is this character sells real estate for supervillains. He is the real estate man for supervillains. So, you know, you think, oh, the Joker found this old abandoned warehouse, he moved in. No. This man is the guy who looks specifically for what a supervillain may need and sells them that. You know, he owns all these properties and he sells them out. Um, like in this issue, he there's an old slaughterhouse, which has a nice in-joke, actually. Um, it's Farmer Brown Pork Company. And uh, if you remember the old Batman animated series, there was an episode um, about a, 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 an evil farmer who created mutated animals uh, that, you know, attacked the city or whatever. And it's considered the worst episode of all time for Batman the Animated Series. Really? And there's a little in-joke about that. Huh. But um, so basically it's this character, you know, he owns this slaughterhouse and he and Mr. Zaz um, is buying the slaughterhouse from him as his new hideout. And I, you know, it's, it, this, like I said, this issue, you know, the streets of Gotham, you know, it seems to focus on different characters every issue, which is, I guess, the point. It, it's more of a focusing on the supporting cast of Batman rather than Batman himself. Right. Excellent. Excellent issue. You know, the, the character is very interesting. I like the idea, you know, that, you know, he mentions what different villains look for and why Gotham is such a great place. Um, you know, we get a little history lesson of Gotham as to why it's such a great place for supervillain hideouts. Um, you know, it says back in the 20s and 30s, there was a big, um, you know, amusement park put in, or 50s. And by, you know, he says by the mid 50s, Gotham boasted no less than three zoos, five amusement parks, and he says, I don't know how many wax museums and reptile farms. <laughs> so, you know, and all those, you know, once once crime came in to Gotham, they all got abandoned. So, you know, he's saying, you know, they, they're called white elephants in real estate because no one really wants them. But, you know, this he, Gotham has this surplus of all these eclectic properties that are perfect for villain hideouts and secret layers. Well, yeah. So it, it's just it's interesting hearing um, you know, all that, you know, the history lesson about Gotham and the way the supervillains operate and the way he, he operates. I, I think it's, I think it's a great read and it's not only that, it's something different in the Bat universe. Um, highly recommended. Uh, of course, uh, written by Paul Dini, great art by Dustin Wen, um, who we are going to have an interview. I know I've been saying that for a while, but we are going to have an interview in the next week or two with him on the site. Um, that's part of our new comic book day interviews. Yeah. 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 Um, highly recommended. Highest possible recommendation. Batman streets of Gotham. Number four. Excellent. Well, um, I read the first of J, uh, M Straczynski's the brave and the bold this week, uh, issue number 27. I went to go pick it up and, and, uh, I was stopped by the cover because, you know, brave and the bold is a team up book. You know, it's always Batman and somebody else or, you know, it's all, it's always a team up book. Well, um, it had dial H for hero on it. And if there is one book that I cannot abide in the DC universe, it is dial H for hero. <laughs> I don't even know about that. I mean, I know it exists, but I know nothing about that book. Well, the idea of the book is that and, and if I recall correctly, it's a device from the new gods. You know, it's like from Dark Seed or, or from, from one of the new gods. Um, that it, ha- it it looks like an old rotary dial, and if <laughs> when you dial it, 
it, you will become the hero that's needed for whatever moment you're in. You know, so it's always a, a different type of hero. And they're, they're not heroes, you know, it's like you're not becoming Superman. You're just becoming some, you know, generic sort of hero. I absolutely, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I absolutely hate it. Absolutely hate Dial H for Hero. I pick, I, th- I think it was a book, uh, er, in the, either in the early 2000s, late 90s. I picked up a couple of issues way back when. It's just an awful, awful idea. And so, you know, it's only because of, of my, uh, intense affection for J. Michael Straczynski that I decided to pick this up because this is his first uh, his first issue on Brave and the Bold. It was fantastic. It was really, really very good. The art by Jesus Saez. I think I'm getting the, the, the last name right. Am I getting that right? Uh, like you're about to correct sure. me. Sure. <laughs> um, I know he, he was the guy who did um, the OMAC project, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's beautiful artwork. In fact, he's got a couple of representations in here of the Joker that are just terrific. Um, very moody. The art's just really appropriate. And one of the things I liked about it is, you know, these heroes that dial up out of the, the Dial H for Hero are usually, like I said, rather generic. And these just had so much character. And what I, what I really liked about it is that, you know, the, the person that's carrying the dial right now is a kid. And, you know, apparently he's been using it for some time. Again, I've been out of it for a long time, so I couldn't tell you the, the current state of the character. But, you know, he's visiting Gotham with his grandfather. They're on a trip because, you know, Gotham is the tourist spot. Absolutely. It's all those, uh, those eclectic properties. That's those right. Elephants. That's right. Let's go see that abandoned zoo. There couldn't possibly be anything bad there except in Mr. Gotham Zass. City. <laughs> so, uh, he dials it and he draws up mental man, you know, great big enlarged bald head. You know, he's clearly a psychic or something. And he looks into the future to see, you know, what it is that's coming. He gets so freaked out. He immediately changes back to the kid and gets in the bed and covers up his head. <laughs> I mean, that's it just, I mean, and, and the, the look of terror on the kid's face as he's back in the bed with the covers up over him is just hysterical. You know, I'm going to look into the future and see what heroics I'll need to do. And, you know, bang, he's back in bed. You know, screw that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was really very good. Um, I don't think that this is uh, Dick Grayson in the book. Yeah, I think Brave and the Bold is kind of out of continuity. I think it is, too. Because I I think this was a Bruce Wayne Batman, and I say that based on the costume. Batman, uh, The Dick Grayson Batman has kind of that stylized Nightwing utility belt. Yeah. Um, And this this one did not. It had had the more familiar uh, Batman utility belt that was used by uh, Bruce Wayne, so... Gotcha. Anyway, it was it was awfully good. Um, I I really rather enjoyed the story. It's a standalone story, doesn't continue into the next month. So uh, it's it's kind of nice to have that kind of book out there for Batman. That's just a good Batman story. It's one issue, um, Grant, and it's three dollars. You know, it's the it's the two ninety nine cover price. Um, this is one of those kind of things that I think DC really got right. I think uh, JMS is terrific for this book, and I'm looking forward to getting the next one. Great. I'm glad to hear it because uh, you were not keen on the JMS Red Circle books. No, and you see, that's I was really very concerned about that because the his Red Circle books were so bad. And I, I again, I, I've got a, a lot of respect for for Straczynski. Um, I I just think maybe it was the character concept. I don't. I'm not sure that it was the writer on those books. I think it was the character concept that you know there's only so much you could do with such 
poor material. But this, you know, rocked it out. He wrote a really good Batman story and wrote a really good Brave and the Bold story. It showed a, it showed a concept, the Dial H for Hero concept, that I just hate, loathe, and despise and did it in a really good light. Liked it a lot. Hate, loathe, and despise. Hate, loathe, and despise. So we're the hate, know, loathe, and despise cast. Yes. <laughs> the, what, what, uh, I'm thinking Demolition Man, Murder, Death, Kill, uh-huh. Murder, Death, Kill cast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, on the other side of the pond, you know, really, Marvel for years has kind of tried to have some type of Batman esque character, and I think it was I wouldn't say 70s, um, maybe 80s, maybe it's 70s. I, I don't. 100% remember when the book was published initially. Um, they Moon Knight came yeah. up. Um, Doug Mensch, I think, created Moon Knight. Yes. And um, he's kind of, I guess, I would say he's Marvel's answer to Batman. Um, uh-huh. Except that, you know, Moon Knight for the longest time has kind of been mired in his insanity and his multiple personalities. You know, so for a while he became murderous. Um, in fact, uh, if you read the last volume of Moon Knight um, that was written by Charlie Houston and drawn by David Finch, he went so crazy as to actually peel off one of his villain's faces um, before murdering him. So, yeah, he, he went, you know, batshit crazy. Um, <laughs> the newest volume of Moon Knight started this week. I don't know if it's necessarily a ongoing series. I think it's only a six-issue limited series. Oh, really? Uh, I think so. I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but it's called Vengeance of the Moon Knight. It's written by Greg Hurwitz and Jerome Opeña. Did I say? Yeah. Penciled yeah. by Jerome Opeña. Yeah. What did you think of the book? Did you read it? I did. I did. And I was very thankful. For, you know, Marvel is really good about doing those summary pages on the first page. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thankful for that because I wasn't aware a lot of about a lot of what happened in the previous volume. Uh, first off, I'll say I really liked the Lionel U cover. Um, I thought that was awfully cool. I did. I haven't seen the Alex Ross cover. Have you? That's kind of funny because that's I actually had the Alex Ross cover. Did you? Um, which I am underwhelmed by because really? honestly, the best thing about Alex Ross isn't his entirely costumed characters. I don't think Moon Knight lends himself well to an Alex Ross yeah. interpretation because Alex Ross. The best thing about Alex Ross is his human faces, right? And how realistic he makes people. But you know, if, if someone is entirely clad in costume, you know, then it looks like an, a painted image of someone in an entirely clad in costume. Right. Uh, it's not bad. I, I honestly would have preferred, I think, the Francis U cover, the yeah. Lanille Francis U cover. Yeah. Um, and the art inside reminded me a lot of Lanille Francis. Oh, well, you know, I kept thumbing back going, are we very sure that, <laughs> that you didn't work on this? Because per- particularly the uh, first panel on the first page looks like Lanille U. Absolutely. You yeah. know, and uh, a lot of it does, really. Yeah. So, but I'm uh, sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. What'd you no, think of the book? I, I, I liked it. I had I had a hard time with some of the narration in the book, just understanding who was talking. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but the action was really good. My only real complaint about the artistry in the book is I don't understand where this big sphere launched from. <laughs> yeah, and you know that that his motorcycle, uh, you know, emerges from. So that was kind of weird and i would have liked a little bit more clarification on what exactly that was and i'm assuming that the sphere stayed behind that that wasn't part of the bike yeah i I kind of gathered that myself but it wasn't real clear to me and so and you never really go to get a good look at the motorcycle that he's driving because he's got this you know special moon night cycle um which 
the the pieces of it that you see are cool. It's it's a little difficult to discern what it is. And and while I like the art, I think that some of the motion in the book is uh, kind of not well represented. Yeah, and you but, know, it's funny, you know, comparing him to Lanil Yu. Uh huh. I, th- I find the same flaws in Lanil Yu's art. Yeah. It, it really is almost like Lanil Yu worked on the book. Yeah. Now there are some things that you know were very clear, like for instance, and I don't, I didn't read the previous volume, so you'll have to tell me uh, if this is something that that was done in the previous volume. It's real clear that he's wearing body armor, mm-hmm. like like a Batman movie armor kind of thing. And I in the uh, you know '90s book, in the '80s '90s book, you know it just it didn't look like it was armor. So is that something that was a recent change, or is that new for this book? I think that might actually be new for this book. Okay. Uh, I, I don't recall it being as part of the last volume. And again, I dropped the last volume about halfway in, after Charlie Houston left, actually, because I thought the book was just, it got a little bit poorly written. Um, and, you know, the character just became too insane. They wanted to get him too mired in his insanity. Right. And that's one thing I enjoyed about this book, is that they seem to have moved more toward Moon Knight has reform- is reforming himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one aspect of this book that I liked. I was not, I mean, I gather that the person that's, that's talking to him through the book, the, the little person. Yes. Is that Bushman? That is, um, the little character that's talking to him. I don't know if it's Bushman. Um, it's supposed to be, um, the God Conchu. Okay. The, cause basically the way Moon Knight came about is he's supposed to be, Think of Moon Knight almost like Ghost Rider, whereas uh-huh. Ghost Rider is the spirit of vengeance for um, I don't remember the demon uh, that Ghost Rider that you know that made Ghost Rider who he yeah. is. Yeah. Um, Moon Knight is the spirit of vengeance for Kanchu, the god Kanchu. Gotcha. And so you know Kanchu wants him to be a murderous killer. Um, where uh, uh, and for a while he became that. And uh, you know, I think in this book, the the little the little guy that is supposed to signify Kanshu. Okay, well, I, and that's I guess that's part of my problem with the book is that there are some things that weren't very clear, you know. And I I, I gathered that that was either a representation of because I, I didn't recognize the character. Um, yeah, I knew it was some kind of conscious representation or some external force talking to him or him just being crazy. <laughs> um, but some of the, some of the action was hard to follow, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, I liked it enough that I'll pick up the next issue, but I didn't like it. Uh, it wasn't like, wow, this was great, but there are some scenes in here where, you know, Moon Knight's kind of a badass. Yeah. Um, I, I'll, I'll ask this question and I didn't catch it. So, you know, if you're telling me, Oh, Aaron, it says this over here. It just means that I didn't catch it in, in the dialogue. Um, the guys who are holding up the bank or whatever that is. Yes. Um, are they wearing masks? Yes. Are they um, wearing Obama masks? <laughs> well, what that's a good those? question. You know, it, it, it's hard to tell, um, based on the art. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a bunch of guys and they're supposed to be wearing, you know, uh, masks uh, uh basically of uh, an African American guy you know there are they're all uh African American guy masks and one and the joke on the second page was that one of them brought a mask of a white guy right um so that's why they say you know dude didn't check his email yeah um really i i it, it you know think of it almost like a point break type thing 
mm-hmm. you know, how they were all wearing masks, masks of uh, presidents. Right. I, I can't tell if it's supposed to be Obama. I, I don't get the impression it's supposed to be uh, based on the hairstyle of the mask. Right. Um, it looks more Wesley Snipes than Obama. Well, and the, on- the only reason I thought Obama was that the, the all of them are kind of jug-eared, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and I was like, well, but you're right. I mean, the hair didn't look right. And, but I, I couldn't figure out who that's supposed to be. And, and again, the, I was kind of going back to that point break thing is, well, maybe this is a thing where we're going to wear the masks of presidents. And so we're all going to be, you know, our black president, you know, uh, Barack Obama. So that's, and, and I think that's kind of the problem with the book is that they did some things with the art that should, I shouldn't be asking these questions. Yeah. I shouldn't be going, you know, what's the mask they're wearing? You know, cause you know, and you know, it's a mask because one of them pulls it off later on, but I, I don't, you sh- if they're going to all wear the same mask, we ought to know who it is. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I said, you know, th- there's some action that I just couldn't get. So I'm am- ambivalent about the book, but, uh, I'll pick up the next one. I will tell you the one thing that made me really mad about the book, though. And I knew it when I picked it up because I said, oh, this is one of Marvel's three ninety nine books, and it feels very heavy. Let me open it up. Oh, sure enough, here's a reprint of Moon Knight number one all the way at the back of the book. Yeah, well, so you're basically paying an extra dollar for a reprint of a book that you, you know – you may have already and honestly has nothing to do with this story. Yeah, you don't need it, you know. And and frankly, I didn't buy Moon Knight number 1 because I don't kill, care for Bill Sienkiewicz artwork. You know, because yeah. I was out there in the world when Moon Knight number 1 was out and I remember going, mm, like Doug Minch, don't care for Bill Sienkiewicz, I'm not picking this one up." But because I was interested in, in this title, I picked it up, and you know they, they made me buy that damn thing. And this is what's really starting to chap my hide about Marvel. And I feel like I'm, I'm just going to eventually have to draw a line in the sand and say, you know, if you're going to do that, I'm not buying your fucking book, and I'll have to edit yeah. out fucking. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I understand, and honestly, it, it, it pissed me off too. I was not happy that they put that in there. Um, Especially since last week, and the reason I read this book is because last week or two weeks ago, Marvel put out a Moon Knight Saga free book. Yeah, we talked about that in last week's episode, and that's what made me yeah. pick it up. When you and Jonathan were talking about the Moon Knight Saga, I was like, ooh, that sounds good. And I, you know, when, in fact, you and I were chatting about it back when uh, the last incarnation of Moon Knight came out. And you and I were both going, Ghost, the artwork in those books are beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I picked up one, two issues of that run. And, you know, I've always liked the idea of Moon Knight. I've just always been rather hot and cold on the execution of Moon Knight. Yeah. And, you know, I've always, and I'm the same way. I love the character of Moon Knight. Uh, I've, I've not always liked his execution. I like the execution in this book. I think, because um, you didn't pick up Moon Knight Saga, did you? No, I did not. I didn't see it. Moon Knight Saga is excellent. It really is. You know, if you can try to get your hands on a copy, I think you will enjoy this book even more. Because okay. it's it's essentially, honestly, if I were Marvel, I would have replaced, even though it was free two weeks ago, I would have replaced the back half, the reprint of number one of Moon Knight here, with that Moon Knight Saga stuff. Because it's, you know, it's, it's a full-size comic length, and it's a great description of Moon Knight from beginning up until this book. And I think it's a perfect introduction to this book. It actually helped me to enjoy the book more. I mean, I knew about Kanshu. I knew about a lot of the characters. I think it would help even more for people who, you know, who don't know that stuff. Right. Um, 
I, I really did enjoy Vengeance of the Moon Knight. I, I am definitely going to pick up the next issue. You know, my main issue with it really were that some scenes of it, like you mentioned, the big ball crashing in the middle of the street, that kind of crap. It seemed like some stuff, and I don't know who Greg Hurwitz is, but it seems like he just wrote some stuff because he thought it would look cool. Yeah. Not because it was actually functional or made sense. Mm-hmm. You know, why can't Moon Knight just drive his motorcycle up to the bank robbery? Why does he have to land in a Moon Knight meteor yeah. that opens up into a Moon Knight motorcycle? Why can't he just drive his damn motorcycle there? You know, it, it just seemed like stuff was done. You know, why does he have to kick <laughs> the apple on top of the big apple sign? You know, I mean... It seemed like some things were done just because he thought they would look cool. Yeah, and I was kind of the same way. I'm like, I don't understand why he's got to be launched, you know, into battle, <laughs> you know, in the big sphere or the Moon Knight meteor. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, just some of that stuff just seemed, you know, extraneous. Yeah, and there's a scene where the Fantastic Four sees him fly by. Yeah. And Reed Richards, like, gets so mad that he crushes this beaker. Yeah. And I'm like... Why would Reed Richards give a crap yeah. about Moon Knight? Uh, again, it, it just seems like he thought it would be funny or cool, um, but I don't necessarily think it made sense, especially knowing some of the history of the character, unless Reed Richards has some type of problem with Moon Knight that I'm not aware of. Well, and maybe it'll come um, up later on in the story, but yeah, I was kind of the same way. I, I kept going back to that page and going, well, what am I seeing here? And it took me a second to figure out that that was a beaker. You know, why is he? why is he, you know upset about Moon Knight. It didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And I think they're trying, and we talked about, you know, how Moon Knight was kind of Marvel's answer to Batman. Um, and it seems like they really are trying to set that up because the next issue is Moon Knight versus the Sentry, who's kind of Marvel's answer to Superman. And it's kind of funny that Marvel's answer to DC's characters is to make them completely crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because Sentry's crazy and Moon Knight was crazy. Um, and that's one thing, and I think that's one thing that actually hurts the Sentry. That, that's one reason I don't care for his character is because he's so crazy. Uh, I wish he was more Superman-like. Even if he was, even if I looked at him like, oh, well, that's just Marvel's answer to Superman. I think I'd still like his character more than I do as an insane guy. Yeah, I, well, and one of the things I don't like about the Sentry beyond the fact that he's got that whole, you know, I'm crazy bit going on. But it's his his big super villain, the the shadowy. I forget what he's called. The shadow. I think is it the shadow, um, or, or something. It, but uh, I don't like that villain, and I'm tired of it always being an issue. You yeah, know, with that character, and I'm just like, you know, I don't like that villain. This villain is ever present whenever the Sentry is there. Thus, I can't read any Sentry books. Well, I think we've beaten Moon Knight into the ground. Yeah, and you know, the sad thing is, are you picking up number two? Absolutely. See, and that's the thing. We, I mean, we have been so critical of this book, but yet we're both, we both think the character is cool enough, and we liked enough of what we saw in the book that we're going to pick up number two. Yeah, honestly, if issue number one was two ninety nine, I would say pick it up, pick it up. Oh, you absolutely. will probably yeah. like it. It is. It, it's like if you took Batman and mixed him with the Shadow, maybe you know that kind of thing. I don't know, but it, it, it's really a good character. I like where they're going with him. I highly recommend, if you're going to pick up Vengeance of the Moon Knight, pick up Moon Knight Saga. That's a free book. Ask your comic shop guy um, if he has it somewhere behind the counter. Because I know Marvel sent comic shops, like, hundreds of copies of that free thing. Hundreds of thousands of copies. Maybe a million. Maybe your local comic shop has a million copies just lying around. You know, just check the bathroom. It's probably in the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Um, I tell you what, you know, going back to the to the uh, 
fact that they threw a reprint into this book. Yes. You know, they, they threw in, you know, however many pages are in this book, almost half of them, I mean, just slightly less than half of them are the Moon Knight reprint. And what I would really like to do is the next time this happens is go up to my comics counter and tear out the offending pages and say, I just want to buy the new part. <laughs> you know, and, and I know that my comic shop uh, retailer would frown on that, which is why I don't do it. But that's how annoyed it makes me. Yeah, it, it is. It is annoying because for three ninety nine, I was reading um, Civil War number one yeah. yesterday, and it's kind of funny because Civil War number one was three ninety nine. I just was in the mood to read the series, and it was a full story. It wasn't a reprint. You know, there wasn't like a backup, uh, like essay of anything of the events leading to civil war it was just a long story mm-hmm. um and you know it's kind of funny because the other six or seven issues of civil war were all 299 and that yeah. was the big company event um but we're going to get to blackest night here in a little bit and that's 399 for essentially a normal size comic book i think maybe mm-hmm. it's a little longer yeah um but you know 399 for a reprint marvel was what i liked about moon knight saga is here's the story summarized if you want to read the actual story pick up the trade paperback i think advertising the trade paperback in the back of this issue of a 299 issue yeah would have been more effective than reprinting something that to be honest with you i didn't even read it because i've already read it yeah you know long ago and after reading venture to the moon Knight number one i i didn't even care enough to read the reprint so well, most I, people are going to stop there not even read it and they paid an extra buck for it and like you said it's got nothing to do with the story for vengeance of the moon Knight. Correct. Yeah. All right. So we did beat that one to death, and then we, we beat it a little bit more, and then we kicked it and pissed on it. Uh, and you never know. We might return to it in a bit. We might. And there might be some necrophilia there involved, too. Necrophilia? You must be talking about Blackest Night number three, Paul. I am. But should we get to Blackest Night, or should we talk about Armor Wars first? I, I suppose we'll be talking about Armor Wars. Oh, uh, Bruce bubble. Stupid Fine, Armor Wars. stupid Armor Wars. So I read Ultimate Armor Wars, um, which is the third book in the Ultimate line right now. Uh, There was Ultimate Avengers, Ultimate Spidey, and now there's Ultimate Armor Wars, which is only a four-issue miniseries. Um, Brief words on this. not going to talk for uh, very long on this. It's written by Warren Ellis, art by Steve Kurth. Um, Good book. Very good book. Um, It involves Tony Stewart basically walking through the remains of New York City um, to try to look for some object that's hidden in a bunker underneath the city what, what do you call that uh the um like an indiana jones the the item that everyone's looking for an, an artifact no no there's a word for it that uh, you know it really an, doesn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> well you know the the object that no one it doesn't you, you might not even know what it is the but MacGuffin? the MacGuffin. okay yes the MacGuffin. you know there's the MacGuffin of the storyline, uh, but someone has stolen his armor and taken the MacGuffin, and he meets a girl. It's a good story. I do like it. Uh, it's like I said, Warren Ellis, who I'm usually a fan of, he writes a great Tony Stark. You know, appropriately sleazy. It's a Tony Stark that we haven't seen in a while because he's a fun-loving Tony Stark. Um, you know, he's a sleazy guy. He's uh, he drinks, he flirts, blah blah blah. The only thing I don't like about this issue is that that's totally not the Tony Stark that's in Ultimate Avengers right now. Yeah. In Ultimate Avengers, they say, Tony Stark hasn't said a word since Wolverine died. Well, Tony Stark says a lot of crap in this issue. You know, there's only three books. I would have liked to see some consistency 
<laughs> in the way characters are portrayed. Haven't you, you know? always found though that Tony Stark has been really inconsistent in the Ultimate books? I mean, like he he is one type of character in uh, the Ultimates, but in his uh, Iron Man and Iron Man Two by Orson Scott Card, he just seemed like a completely different character. Didn't seem like the same guy at all. Yeah, that's and that's true because the Ultimate in ult- the Ultimate Iron Man, the Iron Man and the Ultimates is a sleazy bastard, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, he made the sex tape of him and the Black Widow, all that thing. In, all in all stuff. fairness, I'd make a sex tape of me and the Black Widow, too. True, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in Ultimate Iron Man, if you read Ultimate Iron Man by Orson Scott Card, he is a very passionate, you know, he, he's, he's a likable character, whereas uh-huh. he's really not in the Ultimates. And I really love the Ultimate Iron Man story by by Orson Scarcard. Actually, uh, this is more along the lines of his personalization or of his characterization in the Ultimates. You know, he is a little bit more of that sleaze. But if this is supposed to take place concurrent with the Ultimates, the fact that the personalization and I'm sure it'll be explained in the Ultimates. Um, the only way that would appropriately explain it to me is if it's just some type of unmanned armor, and that's why it's not talking. Because if it really is Tony Stark and he's depressed about Wolverine, he sure doesn't seem like it in his own book. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when you only have three books to keep the character consistent across, you know, just make the character consistent across all of them. Yeah, that, That's all strange. I'm asking for. So now, speaking of Tony Stark, Blackest Night number three came out this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, so it did, so it did. And, well, Aaron, what'd you think? I liked it. I liked it. Um, Shocker. It, uh, yeah. We, well, you know, we've been very critical of these Blackest Night books. <laughs> um, I, I, this is the best conversation that Barry Allen has had since returning from the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are some scenes in here where he and Green Lantern are kind of, uh, Hal Jordan, are talking through some things. And I'm like, well, finally... And why isn't this conversation happening over in Flash Rebirth? Um, yeah, absolutely. Because that, that's where I would think that it would occur. Um, but that said, I think I really am finally getting a sense of who Barry Allen is and why he is the way he is. Because it, there just hasn't been anything unique about Barry Allen since his return. Um, that said, there's all kinds of zombie hijinks in this book. We do find out what happened to the Atom. You know, we were talking about when we uh, reviewed Blackest Night number two, we're like, well, what happened to, to Ray Palmer? You know, he was going over to go visit with uh, Hawkman and Hawk Girl, And, you know, next thing you know, here's Hawkman and Hawk Girl, but no Adam. So, you know, we had that kind of question going on. Well, we find out what happened to Ray and I won't spoil that, but we are going to spoil the hack out of the end of this book. So, uh, yeah. So spoiler warning on, in in fact, I hate to tell you this, but you know, if you haven't read it yet and you're going to read it and you don't want us to spoil it for you, you probably want to stop right now. So that said, (laughs) we are plowing forward. There's a lot that happens in this book. There Um, is. This is the book where, uh, all the crappy things that have happened in the first and second issue, folks are kind of coming together and figuring out what's going on, which, you know, is, is a, about right on time because we're three issues in to the eight issue series. Um, 
we get Mara together. We get uh, Firestorm and uh, the Green Lantern and the Flash and the uh, Indigo Tribe finally talks to us. So this is actually the first uh, appearance of the Indigo Tribe where they're actually saying anything other than neck lock, clack knock. <laughs> <laughs> so we learn that they that they can chat and that they can talk, um, and they are here to help us out with the Black Lanterns. And what we learn is essentially that none of the Lanterns can stand up to the Black Lanterns, meaning that you know the Sinestro Corps, the Green Lanterns, the Blue Lanterns, you know uh, the Star Sapphires. None of those guys can stand up to the Black Lanterns unless they unite that they all have to come together to be able to defeat the Black Lanterns because the Black Lanterns are just that bad ass. So, you know, this is going to pose a problem because you've got, you know, the Rage Lanterns, the Crimson Lanterns, uh, and you've got uh, the the Sinestro Corps, which, you know, are Fear, and, you know, the Green Lanterns that are Will, and all these guys really can't get along with each other. Um, and that's going to be a challenge as they try to form the purest white light by bringing all of their spectrums together. Yep. And, of co- and, of course, I have a sense that we're going to create some kind of super composite lantern, the White Lantern. You know. Oh yeah, absolutely. So. And if it's if it's only one, it's already been revealed who it's going to be. It's going to be Dove, right? Which um, is one of the lamest characters in the DC universe. <laughs> yeah, but that's a way of making her interesting, I guess. I suppose. But you know, if it's multiple characters, she's the only one that they've hinted would become one. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed Blackest Night number three, and I think that goes without saying. I think we're going to enjoy the series unless Jeff Johns f's it up really bad he's got a lot of built-in credibility already because the first three issues have been that good um i I think that if this is the cast we're stuck with for the rest of the book Uh um it's an interesting cast because right now it's hal jordan barry allen ray palmer uh and mira um aquaman's wife right or ex-wife widow um, Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Firestorm is in it, but, well, we did warn you. Yeah. Uh, you know, There's some spoilers coming. no more. Yeah. Well, um, well, and before we before we go there, let's talk about the artwork for just a second. Yes. Um, Ivan Rice, dude, I, brother eats his Wheaties because uh, he's a champion here. He, he is doing just some brilliant, brilliant things in these books. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I prefer Zombie Firestorm to regular Firestorm, <laughs> because Zombie Firestorm is so cool looking. Oh, absolutely. I can honestly tell you, I don't really like regular Firestorm. Oh, I don't either. I mean, I've always he's always bugged me, but Zombie Firestorm is so freaking cool and really rather scary looking. Mm-hmm. He's almost, you know, you know, what you would expect Ghost Rider to look like if Ghost Rider looked cool. Exactly. Exactly. He's he's he, he, as opposed to burning with that atomic flame like Firestorm does, he's got that spectral flame about him. You know, because it's working primarily in monochromes, black and whites. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just really looks very cool, and he's got that inner glow, you know, going on. I just, I, I, I'm very impressed with uh, the way he has represented that. Now, uh, here's where we come into to big time spoiler territory. The current Firestorm in the DC universe, and I know that uh, the girl's name is Jen, and the guy's name is... I don't know the guy. It's not Ronnie. It's Jason. Jason something. Uh, And I think... Is she Asian? 
Yes. Okay. I think she's half Asian. Okay. Um, and to become Firestorm, they have to, I guess, combine their powers to become Firestorm. Right. I, again, I'm not familiar with the Firestorm character because they keep trying to put him in all these books. They put him in Infinite Crisis. They put him in um, the Space One. And I just, I'm not interested in this character. Well, and the, the character has always been kind of a, a two-part character. It's been two personalities in one body. You yes. Know, so, so in the original Firestorm, you had the guy who would become Firestorm, and then he had like the professor's intellect that would talk to him. Well, in the new Firestorm, you've got uh, Jason, I guess his name is, who, yep. who's an African American, and he becomes Firestorm. But then his girlfriend's persona, Jen, is in there with him as well. Okay, so fast forward to the big fight scene in this book, and you know, there, we're in the the. Uh, Justice League's Hall of Justice, and you know, it's we're getting all the big exposition from the Indigo Tribe, and Barry Allen's kind of explaining why he's been so messed up, and kind of pointing out Green Lantern's been messed up too, and you know, this is how we need to work together. And bang, here come the Black Lanterns, and you know, you got you know the Martian Manhunter Black Lantern, you got Hawkman and Hot Girl Black Lantern, and you've got Firestorm Black Lantern. And they've come to kick a little tail. The Firestorm uh, Black Lantern, which was the previous, earlier incarnation of Firestorm, matches up against current living Firestorm. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he does after he, he lays the smack down on uh, living Firestorm is that he pulls out the uh, female persona, you know, that's, you know, in Firestorm's head, pulls her out. And absorbs the, you know, Jason's persona into himself. So he's got Jason up in Black Lantern's head. So Zombie Black Lantern has got living Jason up in his head. And he has got the physical girlfriend. So, and, you know, bear in mind that uh, one of Firestorm's power or Firestorm's power is to be able to change chemical elements. So he can change... Uh, uh, the nature of something. So, like, I th- there was, uh, I think it was fire or something earlier in the book, and he changed it into snow. Here we are in the uh, in the in the story, and he's got Jen here, and of course, you know, Zombie Black Lantern uh, or uh, Firestorm Black Lantern, not a nice guy. You would think these guys coming back from the dead would be happier about that, but you know, generally, uh, you know, unfriendly kinds of people. So <laughs> here's uh, here's Zombie Black Lantern, and you know, he's got Jason up in his head, and he's uh, really kind of laying the hurt on Jen. He's kind of he's making. Jason watch what he's doing to the girl. And, you know, he's there's all this going back and forth. And, of course, you know, their boyfriend-girlfriend, there's a lot of affection between the two of them. And, you know, it's the, the pain of Jason having to stand by powerlessly as Zombie Black Lantern essentially kills the girl and uses Jason's knowledge to do it, makes him give him the chemical element to change her into a block of salt and then lets her, her crumble away. And it's, yep. it, it, I mean, this 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 action goes on for one, two, three, four, five pages before you know from the time that that Black Lantern Firestorm grabs her to the time that he kills her, five pages, five pages of watching this girl be terrified. Five pages of watching this girl know that that something awful is about to happen. Five pages of her boyfriend screaming to try and help her, but he can't do anything because, you know, he's stuck up in Black Lantern Firestorm's head to see her die. What do you think about that, Paul? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, based on the way you just described it, I know how your feelings on it are going to be. Um, I thought it was a very emotional scene. Oh, I thought it was very effective. Do I mean, I, think I it said, was gratuitous. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, a lot of death scenes. You know, it's kind of funny because the Hawkman Hawk Girl death scene was shorter than this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And those are bigger named characters, I thought, than you know, yeah. one half of Firestorm. Um, and the fact, I, I think, the reason it was so um, uh, such an extended sequence is because Jeff Johns likes Firestorm as a character, and he wanted it to be as emotional a scene as possible. I don't know if I felt it was gratuitous. Uh, I, I think it was. I, I think it was. It's dark. It is dark. And for a mainstream superhero book, it's very dark. Um, I'd say it's as dark, you know, even though it doesn't go quite, it doesn't go there. I think it's as dark as the rape scene in uh, Identity Crisis. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 number one, I'm going to say it was done very effectively. Um, I thought all the dialogue was true. Yeah, you know, there wasn't there wasn't ever a a false note in it. I thought Ivan Rice was terrific in illustrating this. Um, all the 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 fear and terror on Jen's face, the you know concern and fright on Jason's face, and then just the sinister joy on the face of the Black Lantern are, are you know were were done very well. My the thing that that bugs me about it. Is it's that trend of we're going to do something terrible to a female character to get a reaction from the male character, and that's what bugs me about it. I would I would like to have seen the tables turned. I would have I would have preferred that Jen was the one that stayed, and that it was Jason who was the one who was you know essentially you know tortured and murdered. You know I. I and I say that only because you never see that side of it. That's a good know? point. That is a good point. You know, I, I think um, historically, and I would say more, I don't, I don't know if I'd say more in the DC universe than in the mm-hmm. Marvel universe, um, because I, I think both um, have had issues. But I, I think, I don't know, it, it's, it's hard to tell because most of the examples I can think of are in the DC universe, specifically of, you know, a woman being not just murdered, but typically yeah. brutally murdered yeah. or, or victimized, um, yeah. victimized yeah. Um, to make the hero either more of a tragic figure or, you know, to get back at the hero. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, of course, you know, in the Marvel universe, uh, Mary Jane has died. Aunt May has died. Um, you know, other characters have died. Uh, Betty died. I think Betty is probably the the prime example of the Marvel character that suffered before dying. Right. Um, but hers was cancer, I think, if I remember. Yes. Uh, from Bruce's gamma rays. Right. Um, radiation. And uh, I, I think that's, you know, typically in the Marvel Universe, if a character dies, it's from being shot or a plane crash or, you know, uh, at least as, as a female character goes, you know, it, it's hardly ever a real vicious brutal murder um but in dc um you know th- there have been you know there have been of course you know the the regular super heroic deaths um like for jade yeah and, and i don't count that, that you know that is 
I what I'm what I'm talking about is you know somebody who's victimized and brutalized, not somebody who died in battle where they were full on in control the whole time. You know, yeah. uh, like for instance, Supergirl dying in Crisis on the Infinite Earths. Yeah, you know that was that just either. I wouldn't count that. But I, I'm talking about like in that that issue of Green Lantern uh, after Hal Jordan stopped being Green Lantern, and you had Kyle Rayner. It was one of those early issues uh, of that book. And Kyle opens up the refrigerator to find his girlfriend. Yeah. You know, uh, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this whole women in the refrigerator uh, where we victimize the woman to affect a change in the character of the guy. And what we never see is it the other way around. It wouldn't bother me near so much because, you know, these are all characters. They're all stories. But what bothers me is that you never see the guy. You know, I mean, we all remember the – when uh, Black Canary was tortured in uh, the Green Arrow books, you know, she was hung from the rafters and tortured. And, you know, for the longest time, it sure did look like she was raped. And I know they came back and told us after the fact, no, no, Black Canary wasn't raped. But, you know, we all saw her without her clothes on, you know, beaten, bloody, and it sure did look like something awful had happened there. You know, and we see that all the time in books where we're going to affect the change by killing off the girl or doing something terrible to the girl. And I just want to see that it happens on both sides. <laughs> and, and I'm going to be honest. I, I, I think, and maybe it's a perception thing, but I have seen, I mean, you know, of course with women, there is more of an, you know, there, there is m- at least uh, from a reader's perspective, there's more of um, a perception of the sexual um, aspect of, of a crime. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I, I've seen men tortured. But we, we see men tortured in comic books all the time. Uh, but you don't. So, you know, recently there was an issue of Batman where he was strapped to a chair and tortured the entire issue. Sure. But what you don't see is the, the Wonder Woman book yeah. where her, you know, boyfriend is, you know, tortured, killed, and, and, and that effect on her. You know, you don't see that. Now, you'll see, you know, Batman has a bad fight. And he gets tortured, big big whoop, he's the Batman, he's going to recover from that. But you don't see, you know, for instance, Superman, <laughs> you know, uh, captured, tortured, raped, you know, and the effect that's going to have on Lois Lane. Yeah, and I think we're, I think, you know, the problem is we're, you know, superheroes, male superheroes are, you know, of course, beating the crap out of all the time. Yeah. But there's not a lot of non-male or non-superhero male supporting characters that find themselves in that kind of situation. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, I think we're comparing non-superheroic female characters to non-superheroic male characters. You're right. We don't see typically a lot of that, you know, um... Jimmy Olsen never, as far to my knowledge, has never been captured and tortured. Um, He's never died, as far as I know. Um, You know, same thing with Perry White. Uh, I can't even think of non-superheroic, you know, Alfred. You know, it's, you don't see characters, male supporting characters portrayed in that same way. And maybe it's just because, I don't know, because you'd have to have, you know, typically, if it's a female character getting treated like that, is she's uh, the love interest or the wife or the girlfriend? Right. And there's not a lot of superhero women in the DC universe uh, or in comics in general. And I don't read Wonder Woman enough. Maybe, maybe Steve Trevor was treated that way at some point. I don't know. I, I don't well, know if his character is still alive, even. 
Well, and and I, I think it goes beyond to just you know did they get knocked around or something like that. For instance, and not and, and I'm going to step away from Blackest Night because that did not happen in this book. I don't feel like the character Jen was degraded. You know, mm-hmm. I just felt like you know, <laughs> I mean, certainly there's certainly a, a certain amount of uh, degrading that occurs when you're murdered. But, you know, it wasn't like she was, you know, you know, beaten and humiliated and whatnot. So I, I, I don't want to characterize that for Jeff John's Blackest Night number three. But in, you know, that the Black Canary scene, she was certainly degraded and humiliated and, you know, horrible, horrible things happened to her. That's not the kind of thing that you ever see happen to a male supporting character in a, uh, a female superhero book. Ever, I've never seen it. Not in, not in a mainstream book. Now it may have happened out there in some you know indie title that I'm not familiar with, but I can honestly say I've never seen that. And I'm not saying I, I, I'm not saying that I, I want to see it. I'm just saying that if you're going to have these kind of story devices, let's make them worth work both ways. And I do think that the Blackest Night number three might have been a little bit more interesting had it been Jen who survived that encounter and that it had been Jason. Yeah, you know. because at this point, you know, it, it's – and maybe it's a a bit of predictability on my part, and maybe I, I should assume this, but I assume that Jason is going to come back and be Firestorm in some way or another. Right. Um, you know, if if he's lived this long, I don't think they're doing it just to kill his character off. Right. Um, but – and maybe it's just because they, they would rather have a male Firestorm character than a female Firestorm character. And it's – you know, it, it's hard – from a sales perspective, because you know, f- typically female superheroes don't sell as well as the male superheroes, um, and I don't know if that's a matter of writing or just a matter of comic boy taste. It, it, it's it's kind of a, a weird. I mean, we could go for hours talking about why that may be, but you know, it it, it is. It's a tricky tricky area. Um, yeah. You know, because you know, Jen to a certain extent was a superhero character. She just wasn't when she died. Right. You know, she was yeah. one half a firestorm. Yeah, and again, I don't want to. I don't want to misconstrue this. If if you know you're the the superhero lady out there, and, and you know you're in you're in full control of your powers and whatnot, and you fall in battle, I'm fine with that. You know, I'm talking about where you're helpless, and you know you're you're being uh, you know overwhelmed. You know, and and you know just powerless in that situation. And certainly, Jen was in in this. In, in this. And again, it was very effective. I don't object to its presence. I just kind of object to the way we tell stories in general. And I think, it, I think there's, there might have been another way to do it and have maybe even a greater impact. And, and the impact here was great. I mean, it, it, one thing that I will say Jeff Johns has really effectively done in Blackest Night is make you understand that there are a lot of, there are a lot of things on the line here. There are very high stakes and people can and will die in these books. You know, so you get that. I mean, we've had a big death in every single one of these books. Technically, if you want to think about it, I mean, if you want to think about it this way, if it'll help you sleep a little bit at night, <laughs> technically right now, Aquaman is being victimized by the Black Lantern rings, and Aquawoman has to, you know, it, it, it's still alive. So you can think about it that way. You know, Paul, you actually make a good point. Who'd have thought? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On that note, we should cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron's going to no, edit that piece out. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, Mara is responding to that because, you know, her dead husband. Now, he was already dead. He wasn't killed by the Black Lanterns. No, but, I don't you know, remember how he died. His, uh, 
Well, he he was pulled out of the out of the grave. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I don't remember how he died. Oh yeah, I don't. You either. know, was he like brutally raped and victimized and I'm sure stuck in a was. refrigerator? Yeah, Probably. I'm sure. That, I'm sure that uh, there there was a lot of uh, you know jailhouse uh, <laughs> activities <laughs> prior to uh, his death. I mean, we'll just say that that's what happened. Yeah. Aquaman died after being brutally, brutally raped, and uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel better already. <laughs> Yeah, this is going to be the rape episode. Special, yeah, the, special rape episode. The the really. Aquaman rape rep episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, technically, you know, right now his dead body is being, you know, violated to a certain extent because the way yeah. this issue reads, um, it's almost hinted that this isn't Aquaman. This is the ring wearing Aquaman's body. Yeah. Well, and I thought that was a great revelation in this book. Thanks for bringing it back to Blackest Night, Paul. Uh, <laughs> the the corpses aren't wearing the rings. The rings are wearing the corpses. Yeah, and you know they 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 go the rings. The way what's revealed in this book is that the rings wings the rings grow roots right into the into the people's bodies where they can then like download their memories almost like a computer. Um, so that's why they remember all this all these objects so it's not it's not just a zombie book it's really almost like a possession book and didn't it say that you know it's funneling power from somewhere outside the universe or something like that yeah from well the from the the sector 666 i think (laughs) okay Um, you don't remember sector six that's where i do anti-monitors it just amuses me So the we've been getting the power level counter all the way through this story, like you know we're at fifty six point five nine percent power level, etc. What happens when we get to a hundred percent, Paul? Good question. And you know what? If you look at the very final page, I it know. says next power levels one hundred percent. Is that that we're that we reanimate the anti monitor? I think it, that's probably either the anti monitor or did you read my story on the side about the the villain? I did not. Oh. Well, honestly, I can't – I don't want to ruin it for you even though the cover ruins it for you for Blackest uh-huh. Night number five, uh-huh. um, that the true villain is revealed. Oh, okay. Um, I, I did not even see – oh, I didn't even see that. I'm, I'm, I'm going over to the site right now to, yeah. to see what that was. It, it's revealed that the true villain behind the piece – and I'm not ruining anything because if you read the solicits, it's it's ruined already. Yeah. Um, or, or, it, it's going to happen. Um, is that the true villain – or? At least, maybe not the true villain, because it's an issue five, so maybe there is an even bigger villain, yeah. um, is Necron. I don't know if you remember Necron. I, I do remember Necron, yeah. From uh, the Green Lantern Corps before it was the current Green Lantern Corps. And so it's revealed that he's the one behind this. So, huh. you know, it's either the resurrection of him or the resurrection of the Anti-Monitor. I don't know. Um, but it probably has something to do with either one of them. Interesting. Yeah. Before we get off of Blackest Night number three, I do want to bring up something that's in the book, but not necessarily Blackest Night related. Okay. Um, just kind of a callback to something we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. What if we were writing the Justice League? Yes. The full Justice League um, lineup, James Robinson's new Justice League lineup is revealed in the pages of Blackest Night number three. Did you notice that? I did not. Hold on. All right. If you flip Oh, yeah, I this- did. I did. I did see that. Yeah, there's an ad. It's two pages after the middle of the book. Yeah. Is the yes. ad for um, issue 38 of Justice League of America, written by James Robinson. And look, by Mark there's Mon-El. Yeah, and uh, let me tell you, it is. 
I, you know, we, we, we like Mark Bagley here. This is the most poorly drawn cover I've ever seen in my life. Really? I think it's absolutely awful. Every character on it is out of proportion to the next character, to the standing character standing next to them. Why is Dr. Light so tiny? Why is Starfire so tiny? You know, why is Green Lantern so tiny and or Green Arrow standing on Cyborg's head? Well, did you notice that Cyborg's on the league? Cyborg was one of my choices. Cyborg was one of your choices. Um, so the current cast is Congorilla, yep. Donna Troy, Monel in a Superman-esque costume, mm-hmm. uh, Batman, Dr. Light, the female Dr. Light, not the bad Dr. Light, Starfire, the Atom, Green Arrow, Cyborg, The Guardian, and Green Lantern, uh, Hal Jordan Green Lantern. I have to say that the only character there that really gives me pause is uh, Guardian. I've always hated that character. Same here. I, I've never, and you know, I'm not a huge Starfire fan either. But, you know, you always get some Starfire taking a naked bath, Starfire naked sunbathing, Starfire, you know, uh, <laughs> swimming around naked. I mean, there's always all kinds of naked with Starfire. Good point. And that's okay. Which is kind of, <laughs> really four members of the new Justice League are original Teen Titans members. Yeah, because you've got uh, Dick Grayson, Batman, mm-hmm. and uh, Donna Troy, Starfire, and Cyborg, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's nice to see that. I think there's 11 characters is way too many characters. I don't, you know, if you've got Batman, you don't need Guardian. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what Guardian's purpose is. I mean, that's almost yeah. like, why the hell did they put, um, what it, the, the Brad Meltzer character that he put in? The guy with the Geoforce. Yes. That, that, that's like putting Geoforce on the Justice League. Yeah. I, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, between, you know, Batman and Green Arrow, you've really got, got kind of the street level activity covered. You don't need Guardian. Yeah. And, you know, Dr. Light may fill that Zatanna role that we talked about previously. Yeah. Uh, Congorilla, which is, you know, he's not Detective Chimp, but he's pretty cool. But he's talking a monkey. So, he's, yeah. yeah, he's talking a monkey. Yeah, talking a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, of course, you know, Green Lantern and Green Arrow are always welcome to see. But, you know, I'm very curious to see where it is. I think it's an interesting lineup. I do think it's way too many characters. Um, I think 11 characters, the book is going to get bogged down unless it's a, you know, a larger size book every month. And we know it's not. And, uh, you know, we've seen from even then, you know, even Brad Meltzer's Justice League and Justice Society of America to a certain extent. um, Jeff Johns run on it. Too many characters is just not a good idea. Yeah. But we'll see how James Robinson does with it. With the exception of Guardian, I like the lineup. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Very exciting October. Yep, October 2009. So we will expect conversation on that when the issue comes out. Absolutely. I think we are uh, reaching the end of this week's episode. Paul, you want to uh, point them back to our contest? Indeed. Um, on the World's Greatest Comic Podcast episode of Funny Books with Aaron and Paulie, I think it was about three weeks ago, we announced our 100 free comics giveaway. Yes, we um, did. We're not going to go into too much detail, but there is a chance for you to win a hundred free comics, and all you have to do is help promote the site some way. Post a link to us on your Facebook. Post a link to us on your Twitter. One of our entries has his own blog, and he linked to us from there. Get the word out some way, somehow. Really, posting a link is probably the easiest way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but. You know, post a link to either our podcast, Funny Books with Aaron and Polly, or the website that we write on, 
uh, typically daily, ideologyofmadness.com. You'll find a lot of great content there. Uh, we started some great features recently that you might be interested in, uh, including Supernatural Saturdays, where we talk about this week's episode of Supernatural. So, you know, come out, join us, and on the site, uh, whenever you get a chance, you know, leave comments. And make sure that if you are uh, entering the contest and you're posting a link, Twitter, Facebook, website, forum, what have you, make sure and send that to us at ideologyofmadness at gmail.com. Yes, and uh, include naked pictures of beautiful women, and you will automatically be entered to win the prize. Very good. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed this week's special episode on ass rape, and, uh, <laughs> and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.